Welcome back to Mike and Maurice's Mind Escape. Let us help you escape your mind. Folks, welcome back to Mike and Maurice's Mind Escape. We have episode number 285 tonight. We are also joined by a special guest, Dr. Michael Masters. Uh, we've had him on probably, I think, three times before. So if you're interested, you can go check out those episodes as well. Um, <clears throat> if you haven't checked out his books, please do. Uh, his first one, Identified Flying Objects. Um, his second one, The Extra Tempestrial model which is more recently and then we're going to talk a little bit about his newer book which is fiction um tonight which uh you know i i started reading it i am not a fiction guy but i figured hey let's check this out and i actually kind of really like it so far so it's called revelation the future human past um and if you like uh sci-fi mixed with drugs and sex and all that kind of stuff that's your book. That's your book. That's your book. That's your book. Yeah. Um, so definitely check that out. But we're going to talk about that too. So, uh, but we're also going to talk about the possible fake. Now, there's a lot of people back on the real train for the alien mummies that were uh, paraded around the Mexican hearing last week. Um, we'll talk about that. I, th- I figured. Mike Masters is the perfect person to do it, having a background in biological anthropology as well as being interested in the UFO topic, so I couldn't think of a better person. Um, and also Homo Naledi, which we've been talking about recently as well. So uh, please go check out Mike's book. I have the link down below. Um, he's also in our documentary, uh, As Within, So Without, From UFOs to DMT, uh, that is free on our youtube channel now there's also a uh director's cut available on our patreon and as well as some other uh exclusive episodes we've done with mike masters in the past on our patreon which one of them has nothing to do with any of this stuff either which i actually found refreshing um some might have called it the mike masters show for that uh that bit there um all right but without further ado welcome back on the show how are you doing Good man, how are you doing? Good. Just yeah, I'll uh, tell you what, I could uh, yeah, I could use a mind escape after the day I've had today. So <clears throat> I could use one to too. <laughs> um, I was told there'd be free DMT. Oh yeah, of course. Always when you're still accurate. <laughs> when you're well, first of all, you you do have the power to produce it, bro. Uh, it's in your body right now. Well, just... that's true, but don't I have to die first? No, I think you just have to think real hard about it and then just let the gates right. flow. Uh, yeah. Writing that down <laughs> Get in that, uh, what do they call it? There's uh, that serpent the pose. State? Yeah, the serpent pose oh, and the yeah. flow state. Um, no, but uh, what? let's talk about your book really quick. Your, your new book's fiction, which is 
kind of a little bit of a divergent path in your first two, which your first two, uh, you put forth the model that um, UFOs are time traveling machines and the occupants are basically us from the future coming back, uh, you know, different variations of that. So um, what made you want to write a fictional uh, novel and do you think you'll write more? Oh man, good question. Um, I mean, I didn't even think I'd write a book after identified flying objects, to be honest. That one took seven years and, and took a lot out of me mentally and emotionally, um, probably physically too, because they're pretty heavy when they get delivered. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, then COVID happened. And then I was like, man, you know, what am I going to do? Can't just sit around. And I had, I'd had this idea of another way to present this time travel idea. Um, I didn't really talk about the the abductions or the the encounters very much in the first book, so I flipped that, and then that's what the second one was about. And then uh, I went on sabbatical at the end of last spring semester, and I had a TV project that, that sort of collapsed on itself. Um, quite literally, the, the CEO of the production company fell and tragically hit his head and died. And everything in development just got, got scrapped at that point. Um, and so, yeah, one day I was like, well, what the hell am I going to do on this sabbatical? I had some conferences lined up and some other projects, but I just needed something on a day-to-day basis. And I was kind of like you, I wasn't super into sci-fi or fiction. Um, I like, you know, I, I like the Star Wars movies and the expanse was really good um i don't know if you ever watched that and like dark that, that german show i didn't get back travel. into dark i didn't know that was my wife tricked me into watching it at first and i didn't tell me what it was about and i'm like ah, i don't know what this is. and then i found out what it was about and i regret not watching it uh yeah but well i, I mean, have seen expanse yet, so you can't still watch no no it. i can go back and watch it and i, I still haven't uh see, i haven't seen all of the expanses but i have seen i think season one so well it just gets it gets better and better um so yeah i mean i kind of started dipping my toes in the sci-fi world and then yeah one day i had kind of a, a transcendental morning and um the mind escaped and i was seeking something that i was gonna do to kind of fill that void during the sabbatical and yeah i had this idea for the story that's still, it's kind of a trilogy, if you will. They're all very different books. Um, but the first two, as you mentioned, are science-based. It brings science in in different ways. And then this third one still gets the same idea out about the time-traveling humans, but in a way that kind of centers on this cataclysm idea and what that might mean for us in, in real terms. So even though it's fiction, it's kind of written in a way that I mean, based on what happens in the next three to five years, could end up being very much nonfiction, too. Uh, uh, I'm not trying to say it's prophetic in some way, but there's definitely a possibility that many things in there are more nonfiction than fiction. And yeah, it was just, it was, you know, you write about what you know, that's where you start from with with fiction. And the the main characters of you know, a, a paleoanthropologist, and he's going back to all these different time periods. But then, as you mentioned, there's 
a ton of drugs and sex in it um, just to kind of liven up the mood. I've, rock I've and roll. We can't funny. leave that out, it's, even if it's not in there. Yeah, sex, and drugs, and rock and roll, man. But I've been told it's quite comical. There's a lot of funny scenes and dialogue. and um, So, yeah, I mean, so far, people have really been enjoying it. But it's definitely, it's definitely different, not just from the first two books, but, like, you know, very much a deviation from uh, a writing style that's – I, but I don't know. It's also hard hard science fiction where I do bring in a lot of technical aspects of how these craft might work, how the beams of light might actually work in the context of quantum decoherence and photons and things like that. So, yeah, it was super fun to write. Cranked the whole thing out in uh, just about nine months. So it was like having a little book baby, I guess, as far as the gestation process goes. And yeah, pooped that out in uh, early June. I guess so it's been a couple months now awesome awesome yeah and uh as i mentioned you were in our documentary which i really appreciate you contributing to um mm-hmm. and That's i good. thought well thank you and I, I i thought that uh your you know like obviously we've met a lot of cool people from doing the podcast even scientists that are a little bit more open-minded than your traditional materialist scientist and stuff like that but i um I wanted to add people that I know too in it that I can vouch for as, you know, a person as well. And we've had these conversations before. Yeah. I just, I like your vibe, but I also appreciate what you do because you could easily just fit into the same mold as all the other scientists, stuffy. And yeah, know. and I did for a while. You know, you have to actually to make it through the system because if you, you know, I, from previous interviews, you know that I started this quest around age eight. But had I said anything to anyone as an undergrad in grad school, I mean, I would, I would have been kicked out of there in a heartbeat, you know? So you kind of have to play the game. I don't feel like I lied to anyone or manipulated anyone. I, I did a, a good job. I went through the ranks, you know, graduated with honors and uh, had a, a, a good, uh, productive career in biological anthropology still I'm doing research and collaborating internationally but yeah the whole time in the back was this question about whether aliens could be future humans so I there's obviously a lot of overlap there they dovetailed nicely throughout this long arduous educational and publication and research process but yeah I know it's been it's been fun hey didn't you used to have a co-host uh yeah i uh got rid of maurice no i'm joking uh Uh, wasn't he your brother or something no he's my cousin but he got cousin that's what it was he got eaten by a bear on his trip to the tetons a couple (laughs) weeks ago no uh you know know they named those the the titties that's what tetons oh really titties that's funny they're called the big titties that's Uh, funny i'll say it without laughing since i speak french i I chuckle a little bit but what's funny is there's three of them so like who in who in France that the people well? What is this? This is after? this uh, Blade Runner, or, or not Blade Runner? Total Recall. I I don't even know why I just said Blade Runner. The three, uh, the lady with the three. Oh, oh that's right. Yeah. There was in that movie. I'm pretty sure they named it before that movie came out, but I could yeah. be wrong. Oh, well, um, if they're time travelers, then they no. They I mean, Maurice path. has just been super busy. He's a professional photographer, and his biz- personal business has just really taken off. So. Um, That's cool. Well, tell him I said hi. Yeah, I will. 
uh, you know, he still comes on and stuff. It's just busy right now, but um, sure. you had you had Rick Straussman in that doco too, didn't you? Yeah, we had yeah. you, Andrew Gallimore, Rick Strassman, Greg Little, um, Laird Scranton. I'm trying to think. Just like a, like I said, like a bunch of like intelligent, open minded thinkers that have really been. Um, you know, and again, the whole point of the documentary wasn't to be like, this is 100% real. And what it was just to share people's experiences and say, hey, this weird thing's yeah. happening. So whether it's true or not, or something else is happening with the mind or whatever, um, why aren't we paying more attention to this? Why aren't we trying to, to see what's going on here? This is a big mystery, you know? So, yeah, um, absolutely. but I wanted it to also be for people that weren't already into the, like, if somebody said, what's a good UFO document? I don't know anything about UFOs. I would tell them to watch the phenomenon because it gives you a chronological timeline of kind of everything that happens. But if I were to say, if somebody was like, what's the implications with consciousness? And I want somebody to think of like my documentary in that regards, this, this yeah. other aspect. No, I think it. you, I think you nailed that for sure. Um, <clears throat> yeah, no, it's good to have that, that variation, you know, cause a lot of people, it's, I feel like it's just getting started, too. A lot of people are going to come into this with a ton of questions and be searching for content to help them piece it together. So, yeah, it's good to have all of those complementary resources. Absolutely. Um, and like I said, I mean, I've learned a lot just from talking with people like you and interviewing people and reading all the books. You know, there's some people that won't read the books. They'll just interview the people. And I'm not criticizing. I'm just saying that, like, I actually read all the books well, so, you did um, mention that you started it i didn't read your new fiction but i'm making an exception because uh, i don't read uh fiction normally well i think you'll like this one i do well I, i'm the reason the other reason is uh i feel like it'll inform me more on your own theories too i feel like like you said there's probably some truth in what you're talking no, about in that's the a great point yeah yeah, and also like there's things I can talk about in this format that I could never touch in any of my <clears throat> more academic publications. Like I had a, a buddy, and, and it's funny too because I've never like pushed any of my works on my friends or family or anything. You know, it's that most of them probably don't even know much about what I do. Um, but for some reason, my friends have been like buying the hell out of this book, reading it. Like I had a buddy the other night text me like like dude i'm learning things from this book like i didn't think i was gonna learn stuff you know how does that happen but but it's like i could take the chains off a little bit like all of those constraints that come with academic writing uh, you know presenting ideas and logical ways that explain complicated concepts with more esoteric terminology like i could still do that but in a way that I could reach out into more speculative sort of woo things, but anchor those too, if that makes any sense. Like it, it was, I was able to sort of bridge the divide and, and, and have fun with it, which I'd, I hadn't no, really gotten to do previously. Absolutely. Like if I were to read something else, it would be like a Philip K. Dick or Isaac Asimov. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like you said, like something right. that informs reality based on, you know, or science fiction becomes science fact, something along those lines. Yeah, for sure. No, that's that's kind of where this went. Um, but without my knowledge, even it just kind of went down that path on its own in a weird way. Nice. Well, let's uh, let's get to the real 
debate here the last week or so. I don't really think it's a debate, but it's a real hot topic online. Um, the Nazca alien mummies, we'll call them. I don't even know what you want to call them. They were yeah. brought out um, by Jamie Masson and crew uh, at the yeah. Mexican hearings. And here I'll pull up a picture of E.T. Well, I thought, I mean, didn't we come to a scientific consensus that they're cake? <laughs> that was awesome because I've been the first the first like time I saw one of those it really did fool me like and now that that it's become like a yeah. thing it's just hilarious. Um, That's so dumb. Like yeah. you, you know, I like to joke around and stuff. You know, I've no, been on sure. your show three or four times, and I I like to have fun with things. And I had planned on coming out. <clears throat> I had this whole script in my head, but I was gonna be. Like, no, man, these are real. Obviously, they're real. <laughs> and then I just couldn't even bring myself to do it because well, it's so... Dude, E.T. is real. Look at that. Horrendous, they couldn't you know? have made it look I mean, like more, more like E.T. if they tried. I'm not even saying... Well... I mean, come on. Well, not only are they obviously fake, but we're we're dealing with grave robbers that steal bones of children from these ancient burial sites and then yeah. piece them together to make these things to sell them. And there's <clears throat> actual logical people that are just eating it up. And I'm like, you know, it's, it's bad enough that you can't see the obvious flaws and the way they piece these things together and the inconsistency across them because they're made to look alike, but they'll have completely different morphological characteristics. But beyond that, where did they come from? You know, they're inverted llama skulls with a bunch of kids' bones so stolen from archaeological sites. The new argument out. is that that's not the case. Today they did a CT scan on it, and they said whoever was... And, and by the way, I'm not saying that I believe this. I'm just telling you what happened today. Um, the guy that scanned it, they said that there was no... There was a radiologist. There was a yeah, head of that. Navy, whatever, uh, Mexican Navy, whatever, Um and they said that there was no alterations to this thing. So, I mean, but at the same time, here's here's my problem with, with the UFO stuff. It's like double speak or like hypocrisy at its greatest. Because one, on one, you know, and they're saying, oh, our government's covering it up. They've got aliens. They've got alien bodies, blah, 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 blah. But then on the other hand, we're just letting other countries uh, wheel things out that would change. Do you, do you get what I'm saying? Like, I don't think if we're this imperialistic in charge of all this stuff, like everybody says that we are, UFOs, we're flying to Brazil, we're taking bodies, we're going here, we're going there. Why would we right. have let that from for just from like if you're in the UFO mind, not that again, that I, I'm even in this realm of logic, but if you were. There's the people that also believe there's a cover up and we have bodies are the same people that now believe that this is real. Yeah, there's a couple of things to unpack there. One, there clearly is some sort of crash recovery imperialism. Imperialism happening. I mean, if you if you take uh, the case in Italy, what was it 1933 or something? And yeah, the Virginia thing, if we went down there and acquiesced to that. Um, clearly we are pulling some strings, but also why would we get involved with this dog and pony show happening in Mexico if it obfuscates the entire situation? Like that's good for people that are trying to like hide this and have been hiding it for a long time. Like if my, my understanding is that they weren't really vetting people, they were just sort of opening the door and saying, Hey, bring out what you have, but they probably should have vetted it because these are clearly fake. I don't care what these assholes said today. These are clearly human bones. They're small bones. 
Well, I'll, I'll tell you what, what lit a fire. And they're mixed and matched all <laughs> over the body. Here's the most important thing. All right. This is, this is the main takeaway. We have this expression in biology that form follows function. All right. So the form of an organism indicates the function and all of those different pieces are characterized by morphological integration. They have to fit together and they evolve to fit together over very long periods of time. Even if you, you know, disregard everything else, just look at the articulation points of these bones or non-articulation points, I should say, because none of them articulate. They're human bones taken from different parts of the body and stuck all over that don't articulate properly. And something would never evolve to look like that ever, let alone to have human bones that evolve separately somewhere else, just mixed and matched all over the body. It makes no goddamn sense whatsoever. Yeah. So, I mean, I agree with you. Um, I heard different theories that they were taking like that this, you know, even could have happened a thousand years ago that they would have did that. I don't know why. No, not I don't think possible. so. But again, I'm just, it's not about thinking. It's right. about the way physiology works. It, I, I teach osteology at a college level. I've taught osteology at a graduate level. I teach forensic anthropology. These bones would not work in a functioning individual, especially a bipedal individual like this was was made to look like. It's it's asinine. I don't I don't even know yeah. why people are still talking about this. So Wait, well, like this was disproven in 2017. Well, I what see tons doing? I mean, I see tons of well, I'm not going to get into that, but I see tons of people online X and so and so like accounts that pop up and be active when something like sees that try and see if they can kind of you know sway people one way or the other uh, again uh just something i've observed for whatever reason but um a... right but you also have to look at the source pro and con right who is presenting information that is scientifically fastidious logical makes sense and fits with our knowledge of anatomy and physiology and Who's making claims that don't? That's what it comes down to. Well, right. And I think the guy that was the Benitez or whatever the guy's name is, the same guy that was connected to Masan in 2015 with that hoax, too. So, uh, I mean, I did I already did a video yeah. on this and gave my opinion. I called it a fake instantly. And I, I, I was wondering where the Gary Nolan, and Gary Nolan did speak up on it, and I know we're speaking on it now. I don't know if you've talked about it publicly. Yeah. Yet, and but... he's a, he's a like microbiologist or immunologist or something. So, you know, he can tackle the DNA stuff. I I'm an osteologist, a biological anthropologist, a paleoanthropologist, a forensic anthropologist. I do bones. These bones were put there by someone and very clearly someone who was gr robbing graves of indigenous people that lived approximately a thousand years ago based on some of these studies so yeah it, it pisses me off across the board like anthropologists have been fighting grave robbers forever ironically indiana jones could be classified as a grave robber uh, and a lot of anthropologists i know got their start in this field because of indiana jones movies so it kind of went full circle there but no I, I don't care about any of the rest of it there's explanations for that too that also scream fraud but even if you just look at the bones that's all i need and and yeah I, it didn't take long at all before I was like, well, these are obviously manufactured by someone who <laughs> is getting better at what they're doing, still sucks at it because they don't have an anatomy and physiology background. But, they're, you know, it, it just sucks that they're making money off of desecrating the graves of children. That, that really does it. Yeah, I called that out uh, 
when I did the episode between that and add uh, and all and all that stuff. Um, you know, I don't think that we should be parading this stuff out there. If, if anything, if you're going to do testing on it, do testing on it. You don't need to bring it out and say it's an alien and then go do the testing, do the testing first. If you have something nuts, show the world, you know, like that's the, um, well, and that and it, itself should indicate that these people are fraudsters. They didn't do that. They didn't care about the science. They just wanted to have a dog and pony show, and they did in front of an international audience. So good for them. Nothing like lighting a fire under Massan's ass, like uh, Peru potentially opening up a criminal investigation. This guy's like, we got to scan this thing. And, yeah, yeah. I'm, oh, nice. They should. Yeah. Um, it, but it again, is an international crime to desecrate <clears throat> graves and to purchase things that are taken from archaeological yeah, so like, sites. The, the most confusing thing to me is people were talking uh, today. I saw some comments like, these are repti re reptilian humanoids with eggs in their bellies. Is this kind of like a, 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 you know, a platypus? Like, this is what, this is the line of thinking that people are using surrounding this stuff. It's just, it's, again, it's... I don't know. We yeah. Need, and then I keep telling people epistemology across the top. How do we know what like, we know? You know, I don't know. Yeah. Well, you know it from not being dumbasses. That's how. Well, I'm trying to be nice, but yes. I'm not, dude. It pisses me <laughs> off. I, I know. You should, you should, nice this is your this. profession. This is your profession. You should. It, it is, you know, and, and we, we have become historically, at least since the 1950s, the bastions of underrepresented cultures, indigenous cultures. And yeah, the, what's happening with these these bones is infuriating, to be honest. Well, I mean, I guess, you know, uh, there's always going to be people that believe in stuff regardless or the contrarians or the trolls or the oppers or whatever is going on. Yeah, from the very beginning, you know, I... I I feel like I'm in a unique position because I was raised as an evangelical Christian. So I have a very strong sense of what belief is and how that uh, informs people's worldviews and, and really governs much of their life. Uh, but I also was raised in a very materialistic, physicalist field where we we need solid evidence and, and we build from that, you know, and and so when I came out with my first book, I was very clear to differentiate belief from scientific understanding. You can believe anything you want. You can believe that these things are cake. They were bipedal cake creatures that had consciousness and, and paraded around and danced in whatever way that, that video made these things dance. Was that part of the actual thing? I never watched it. I just I got information from a lot of other people. But was that part of it, the dancing thing? Or is that know. just a meme somebody made? Yeah, I think that was a meme. But yeah, that was there okay, was tons of memes. There was that. There was the alien one with Sigourney Weaver where they had the, the mummy next to Sigourney. I see that. Yeah. That's great. Well, anyway, but belief or not, like you can believe whatever you want, but don't try to impose those beliefs on something that can be understood through scientific rigor, the scientific method. And obviously the UFO phenomenon kind of falls in that gap. We don't have, we can't apply the standards of evidence. We, we can have evidence. I'm working on a, a paper with a few people from a number of different universities um, who, who are looking at this in the context of what is evidence? Because that's always the knee-jerk reaction for NDT and Adam Frank and Bill 
it's the science guy. Do, do we even know his last name, or do we care? It's it's Bill, question. not the scientist guy. That's what it is. <laughs> I think it's he's build like a, it, build it. I think he's an aeronautical engineer or something, which is, I mean, that's yeah. impressive, but it's not yeah. scientist. Great. You're a science Great. guy. That's your just get yeah. a degree or something. You know, something. I don't know. I build a nihilist guy is what I'm going to call him from now on because. You have these people that don't take the time to research it. Like, I don't know if you saw Neil deGrasse Tyson's angry rant on whatever news interview that was. But he's like, I'm not going to interview Grush because everything's locked behind closed doors, so classified, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, why does Grush even want to debate him? He knows nothing about this phenomenon. So, like, what is the point even wasting your time trying to have an informed conversation with someone who never took any time to learn anything about what's actually happening and has been happening throughout history and prehistory? So it it makes no sense to me. It's almost a belief system unto itself, but one that starts from a place of bias. It's like this can't be real. So I'm going to go out of my way using selection bias and confirmation bias to make sure that everybody knows it's not real without actually looking into it at all. And it's completely ridiculous. It pisses me off. I can't believe it's still happening in this day and age. But the point is that that almost centers on a belief system too, a belief that this thing isn't real, that this phenomenon isn't actually happening. But you can have that, you know, like you said, with these mummies, the cake mummies, you can have it with UFOs, the aliens, and there's different levels of that. As we see the cockpit videos, as we can quantify what's happening based on the radar signatures and all of the eyewitness testimony, we can start to get a sense of the fact that these aren't real now, but they could easily be real in the future based on all of the things that we've been doing throughout the recent past with the development of these different technologies. And especially if these things are coming back and crashing in the past. It's one thing a lot of people overlook is that if these are time machines and they're crashing in our relative past, and we're reverse engineering them, eventually we're gonna make the same damn thing that goes and crashes in the past. So you have this self-consistent loop of temporal events that spread between our relative past and future, but they're all connected. There is no future cause effect violation. There's no paradox there. So I, I deviate slave from my main point, but belief obviously plays into this because for a long time, UFOs was just a belief system. Then around 2017, we started to be like, oh, well, maybe we were right. Maybe this is real. And then more and more evidence in whatever way you want to define that. There's lots of ways to define the term evidence has started to indicate that this is, in fact, real. It should be taken seriously. And then it takes it out of the realm of belief. These mummies still belief system and it probably will be forever because they're fake as shit. Yeah, I mean, that's I mean. That stuff's been in the the zeitgeist for a while, though, with the whole, what's it, Maria, the three-fingered one, and then the other Nazca mummies. Yeah, and, Julia and Nino you know, Pinto Santa Maria. Yeah. None of those, um, I don't think there's any real anomalies. I mean, I think one of them, wasn't there some weird, like, skull suturing or something? I mean, I don't know. I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm just going based on what I've heard other people. Obviously, you're the... The expert, but yeah, if you say that there's obviously no merit to this and you're open to these ideas, I think we should definitely. I'm very open to everything. Right. No, I know you. And we should stop wasting our time with it. And it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing for all of the progress that we have made in this field 
if you can call it a field of UFO research. All of a sudden, this thing comes in, we're moving, we're making progress, things were happening. And then it's like, oh, it's embarrassing. I think Ryan Graves even apologized for being a part of this. It's like, yeah, he did. You know, that age old 10 step forward, 5,000 steps back with this particular question. But yeah, it, that's going to happen. How much of it was orchestrated by whatever parties? How much of it was just narcissism and egos from these guys that have these things that probably paid a lot of money for them? They're trying to make some money back. Um, there's a lot of things at play, but they're fake as shit. So don't don't take it seriously. That's my takeaway. Well, you heard it here, folks, from a professional in these fields, in the UFOs. These aliens are fake as shit. Aliens um, are fake as shit. <laughs> quote me on that. A quote headline tomorrow. <laughs> um, let's kind of take a, a, a deviation here because this is something else. Oh, I thank to... God. Yeah. I want to talk about have you seen, have you read Cave of Bones or seen the documentary on Homo uh, Naledi? Um, and I'm sure you're aware of it, obviously, because this is in your field, but. Yeah, so I've read the papers, I've read the critiques. Um, I am, yeah, I mean, th this is my job. I'm a paleoanthropologist slash, I mean, that's the thing. A lot of people don't understand the way this field's broken down. I'll give you a quick overview. Uh, anthropology is a multidisciplinary field because humans are complex. So we have the cultural side, cultural anthropologist, the biological anthropologist, and within that, our paleoanthropologists, which was my main area of study with the hominin evolution, hominin fossil record. And then also primatology, human variation, human genetics, biocultural evolution, all these other things. And you have linguistic anthropology and you have archaeology, which is a subfield of anthropology. So, yeah, as a paleoanthropologist who, who teaches about these things and is obviously interested or I wouldn't have become one, <clears throat> anytime new fossils are discovered, it's of great interest to me. Extra interest because two things. One, Lee Berger and I have the same academic advisor, uh, weirdly. He studied under Jeff McKee in South Africa at the university in Johannesburg there. Witzvatersrand is what it's called. And then I studied under him at Ohio State, but we both had the same advisor and having worked in South Africa with him over two summers, I think we even traveled to an area that might be where that is. I can't remember exactly where we went, but we took a day trip. I remember him and, and uh, the other guy from the UK, he's actually from America, but he teaches it in the UK, said something that, that in my mind, this was right before all of this came out, but was some indication of this area being important. I don't know if it was the rising star cave. It could just be a coincidence because a lot of places are important around there. It's considered the cradle of humanity. So yeah, I've obviously followed this very closely given my research and um, museum research and just overall interest in South African paleoanthropology. And then, yeah, obviously Lee Berger and I having, uh, or, what do we, what we call it, like academic brothers or something, whenever you have the same advisor, then you go back one and your cousins or yeah, grandchildren of, it's some weird thing that we, we do in graduate school. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, he seems like a really interesting guy too. Um, yeah. 
So he's changed a lot too. Sorry, before we get to the next question. Yeah, you're good. He's changed a lot too, because one of the things that's really weird about this, and I've never seen this before, it's crazy, is that um so you go back and you look at these papers, they were in like eLife or something like that. One of the things that's weird is how fast they came out. Because it used to be that paleoanthropologist would get all of these bones and just sit on them, you know, and they'd get all this extra funding and all of these grants to analyze them and bring in all of these other people. And then it would take like a decade sometimes to actually publish the results of what them and this esoteric team of paleoanthropologists and geologists and biologists, paleontologists sorted out. Uh, these, this team, largely under the command of, of Lee Berger and, and John Hawks, and I, uh, it's ringing my doorbell. Uh, Augustus Fuentes, I think is his name. So they were like, you know what, these are for the people. Let's do an analysis and publish this, not in nature, not in science, but in this open access journal. That's weird enough unto itself. But then there's a bunch of uh, papers that they published about the engravings and about uh, whether these were intentional burials. And then there's a ton of pushback from the rest of the community. And it's a very contentious community to start with. Um, but then and this is getting a little esoteric, I'm sorry, but it's very, very strange that you have all of these critiques that are being published publicly. Usually the reviewer's comments are not made public at all, but then they're replying to the reviewer's critiques in real time before they actually go and republish the paper or revise it or do another one. So it's this weird like conversation that's happening that's so esoteric that most people probably don't even know what's happening but if you go and look at and even the even the the editors of this journal themselves said there's there's currently not enough evidence to say these are burials you know they published the paper but then there's this sort of weird part right in the middle that says like editors comments or journals comments where they're like we we can't stand behind this we're still publishing it but we can't necessarily stand behind this claim of burials at this time because of all of these reviewers' comments. And they list like thousands of words of three or four different reviewers' comments. And then, again, weirdly, this team of researchers, their rebuttal to those, <laughs> that, that's never happened to my knowledge. It's so weird. The whole thing's just so weird. Yeah, so you have that, and then you have the other academics on like Axe and other platforms coming at them saying this is crazy pseudoscience it's like imagine telling lee Berger this is pseudoscience like you know that's crazy um but there's well, people there's he had people that out reputation there. i remember the first academic conference i went to was in buffalo new york in like 2001 and he came up to our table and i didn't know who he was i didn't even know that he was my advisor's former advisee but someone was like oh dude that was lee Berger," and i'm like Okay, backstory, please. And they're like, uh, Tim White, University of uh, of California, Berkeley, just railed on him about like all of his garbage science and stuff. And I was, I was like, all right, interesting. So even back in two thousand one, he had already been pegged by this community as like the outlier, the rabble rouser, right? So were they looking for that? Were they going after him? Had they already blackballed him? And that's why he had to publish an e life he couldn't get into nature or science so how much of it pseudoscience and how much of it is that he pissed off what are known as the good old white boys of paleoanthropology because it's always been these sort of 
pseudo famous white dudes that hold pretty decent positions at Arizona state and, and Berkeley and uh, Ohio state to some respect. And, and yeah, like, was he trying to work in a system that he had already been blackballed in or is he a pseudoscientist? And I don't know, maybe it's some combination of all of those, but I think it's important for people to understand because where else are you going to get this information? But there's a lot more to the story so what you probably hear in the mainstream press yeah absolutely and i try and follow as much as i can and the squabbles online and stuff but like you said there's stuff behind the scenes that the, the normies will just never a know lot about of stuff. um my thing is is like okay so people coming at him but this dude has found some of the most <laughs> paradigm shifting finds that we have so it's like there's obviously got to be some method to the madness like any other genius in any other field throughout history this dude's got the ability to find these um these rare bones yeah and to market them he didn't find them they were brought to him he wasn't the first guy in the cave there were two uh cavers who actually somehow squeezed their asses into that tiny little hole and found them and then brought them to lee Berger as the paleo and another paleoanthropologist there as well so it's not that he's out there caving himself those those were brought well, no down. i mean that's clear, clear in the documentary because he can't even get down the chute uh he couldn't get down there and then yeah. he lost enough weight yeah. to do it which is pretty cool yeah. i remember when i was at ohio state i was still in grad school and this was happening i remember them putting a call out for people that were small enough to fit in there you know, they were sending around to these institutions. So is, that's a real thing that that woman who I think she's the senior anthropologist or senior archaeologist at that site now. Uh, she was saying that she was part of like they're called under underground astronauts. Yeah. astronauts. yeah, yeah. And it's like a whole program where you learn about like spelunking mixed with all this other extreme stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's that is important. Like I, when I was I was working in a cave uh, called Makapanskat, and uh, we, you know, on our days off we would go bouldering up these cliffs and we would go caving, and it was you know kind of intimidating. I've never really been afraid of tight spaces, but you're like you're putting your body linearly through this tiny hole, not knowing if a leopard or a porcupine's on the other side, and you're wiggling through like this to get to the other side, and this this place at the rising star cave system was even tighter you know and and that is one of the criticisms about why this maybe wasn't burials like obviously the homo naledi group was smaller than modern humans but you know were they actually doing all of that work to take corpses down and then like shoving them through holes and stuff and there's also not much evidence about uh, disrupting the soil so obviously if it's a burial you're disrupting the soil and then burying them. Like we see at La Chapelle au Saint, this site in the Dordogne River Valley of, uh, of modern day France, they clearly moved the soil, probably with sticks, put a full grown Neanderthal in there about 45,000 years ago and then covered it back up. And there's also grave goods, there's pollen indicating they put flowers in there, which is crazy to think that what we do at graves was the same thing that people did 45,000 years ago we're still doing it today, even a, a separate subspecies. We're not even related to them. Um, so, you, and that, so you see the grave goods, you see the pollen, you see the disruption in the soil. You don't see that with Homo naledi. You don't see that in the rising star cave. And that's one of the biggest criticisms so, about 
that why shoe these can't be classified as burials. The shoe, which is the tightest part, if you're here. Actually, I might have the map or the cave up on here. Let me see. There we go. Here's a di- diagram of the cave. Um, this is what I used a solo episode that I did a review on it. But so 18 centimeters width is the shoot part, which is fucking narrow, and yeah. tw- only in 12 meters down. So you have experience with this. I don't have a ton, but I do have one story when we were in camping in northern Michigan or uh, the UP of Michigan. Uh, there was these underground caves, which is beautiful, by the way. I just visited there. Very last beautiful. Um, and we were in underground caves, and there was one spot where I didn't know if I was going to get through it. I'm like, I'm a bigger guy. Back then, I wasn't as big as I am now, and even back then, in my best shape, I barely could get through. So yeah, you can get stuck in these these zones for sure. Oh, no people die. Yeah, people die. Even professional cavers, yeah, uh, get stuck and die. So yeah, when they were putting this call out for, and, and they sort of alluded to the fact they couldn't tell us everything because they did want to keep it secret and that's one of the things that lee berger absolutely did right is that he kept everything secret and then rolled it out in these big reveals got national geographic behind him got the news organizations all around south africa behind him and the international news so that's how you do it like and these are legitimately important fossils. They're they're small brain. They're primitive. We have this term we say mosaic evolution. So if you think about a mosaic, it's just little bits of things that are stuck together to make a broader picture. When you step back, you see the whole picture. And and our divergent big toe is a good example. We kept that for a longer period of time so we could still get up in the trees. Meanwhile, our pelvis was already fully modern. We had the two curves in the spine and our frame and magnum was shifting. There's all the shit. Um, but he did a good job at showing the world that these are important. You know, they're, they're small brain. They're very Australopithecus Africanus like, but they're pretty recent 300,000 years ago tops. So like the perfect example of mosaic evolution. So he did take an important thing and really boost it up with a lot of help. I'm sure from people at national geographic, um, so yeah, there's. I'm not trying to take away from any of this. I'm just trying to give people information that isn't readily available unless you're involved no. in this highly esoteric field. That's why you're here. I love this shit. Keep it coming. Um, so my question is a few things now. So you said that they couldn't tell for sure that it was a burial. I don't know anything about burials. I'm not an archaeologist or an anthropologist, but that looked like that was the fetal position with obviously the stone tool or weapon in its hand to me no no so they they being the reviewers established that it wasn't so there's two things the orientation of the bones was somewhat scattered and i think they even mentioned it might have been a different section of the cave so don't quote me on this but i think they even mentioned that uh there were previous cavers who went there in like the early 1990s that moved things around so we can't take that as being uh the primary context of that site the other thing is that they weren't buried in the typical sense of the word like what we expect to see with a burial and ironically i worked at a cemetery for five years just before i started uh, 
well, actually when I was in college too. So I was putting things in the ground and then eventually taking them up. And obviously we're digging six feet deep with backhoes, but even in the earliest archaeological sites, and not just La Chapelle au Somme with the Neanderthals, but all of these interesting sites all throughout the southern coast of France, I uh, got to hang out with some 30,000 year old early homo sapiens that some of the first anatomically modern homo sapiens sapiens that came into that region and they were doing all this stuff they were putting these little shells all around like a, a skull cap of like shells like a hairnet that they made burying them with like antlers all around all of these grave goods the 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 artifact that was found is still hotly debated it's the only one there's no other indications of tool use by this particular species anywhere around there. And and that's another problem is that we have this one site. But the, you know, if we had that, that thing they took it, these different areas, they took it like a dinosaur bone, though. They like plastered the whole thing around it. It wasn't like they dug out piece by piece like this was a full skeleton in one thing that they took out with the tool in hand. Do you get what I'm saying? Like what you're saying, scat. I don't know about the no, other bodies. No, you're, you're breaking up bad. I only heard about four percent of that. Probably. Okay, so the other bodies, as you mentioned, I don't know about those, but the one body that they at the end with the hand tool in its hand, in the fetal... also also keep in mind, keep in mind, I haven't seen the cave of bones. My oh, wife okay. Well, maybe there's a, a, a revelation. I was like laying there, kind of listening, but <laughs> yeah. So at the very end, they plaster around this huge, there's a, a, a child in a fetal position holding a tool that they did x-ray scans on that um, uh, yes. they took, the, they, they dug up the whole thing at I like one, one solid piece. It wasn't like different bones from different yeah. areas. And, and there the criticism is that they put in plaster and did an x-ray. They haven't physically analyzed it outside of that plaster show. So a lot of people are like, well, how can we even say if this is a tangible cultural material artifact, if it's still encased in that, you know, like take it out, analyze it. Like what, what's the hang right, up there? Right. Which is a valid complaint. All of well, are they going to do that though? That, I, valid. So what, what, what would they wait for on something like that? Well, I'm, I'm not saying it's like the, you know, the, the Mexican mummy thing, because that's obviously a very different situation, but good question. What are they waiting for? Like you, you put it in plaster. So when we would find fossils in Makapanska, and we found a lot of them, we would paint them with this like porous glue. So the bone was porous, then the glue would go into it and it would solidify from the inside out. So we were doing the preservation of the bone instead of plaster. So we'd get it to these sites, but it's still encased in the breccia. The sedimentary rock that formed around it <clears throat> and is what preserved it so these were sitting on top and sort of underneath loose dirt so it wasn't breccia they weren't working with the same thing so yeah you would put it in plaster and then transport it why they didn't take it out of that instantly i don't know and maybe they did uh, again i was reading the criticisms of um this analysis and that that is a valid one if there's one artifact get that thing out of plaster as soon as you get there and analyze it, you know, do all of that stuff without the, the encasing on I think in it. the so, movie, this is just my perception of it. I think in the movie, they wanted to show this was all one thing undisturbed. They, of they, course they did. The body's yeah. in a burial position with the thing in in its hand, whether yeah. the, it did, died did there. Did they mention the other people being in there, though? Did they so, mention the, the disruption? Because we have this really important thing between primary and secondary context. 
right. something is completely undisturbed as primary context from a taphonomy standpoint, great. Now we can know everything. If it was disturbed in any way by water, animals, uh, shifts in the the tectonics around there, anything, suddenly all that goes out. So the, the, I mean, the most important thing, I'll say right. this last thing. Okay. It's the most important thing in archaeology is taphonomy and provenience. How did something get preserved? And then how is it related to other things? And if that's disturbed in any way, you lose provenience. The most important thing in archaeology. This is so esoteric. I'm sorry. Like, no, your no, you're, are you're, like, you're good. What the fuck is he you're good. talking so, about? Like, so the, this, this is stuff we get into yeah. in my upper level classes, like halfway through the semester. Yeah. I'm just nah, I mean, throwing I, it at your people. And they're probably I, like, I'm digging it. Other people are too. We got lots of my boy Adam's listening this we text all the time about this shit. So, um, well, we're so talking the, Adam then. Yeah. <laughs> Chauncey, Adam, they're all loving it. Let's keep it going. Um, we've got, uh, so the rising star cave. So that Dinaletti chamber, I believe is where they found. And then they found before that, I think is where they found like fire, a little fire pit with animal bones. Um, and then they found those markings on the outside too, which clearly look like the earliest, uh, human and Neanderthal symbols that have those lines of scratch marks, unless they're just sharpening their, their hand axe or whatever. I don't know. That, that doesn't look like nature did that to me. I don't know. No, maybe. So <clears throat> again, the criticism there with the engravings is one, can we rule out a null hypothesis of this being natural? And there are examples of things happening in, in caves where you can have that with, with erosion, water trippage, other things. The other thing, and this was a criticism of that argument by the reviewers, uh, or more informed on this than I am, like, this is what I do, but I also study, you know, the physical bones and not, not so much the cave morphology is they made the case that it's very possible the more recent humans from that area came in there and did this because they can't date them or they haven't dated them yet. It's easy to date. Uh, I think they use uranium thorium analysis or electrospin resonance, or, or we have dating methods for the actual fossils themselves and for the layers above and below them. But when you talk about something on a cave wall, it's infinitely harder to date that. So without a date, there's also the possibility that people from the time that were making carvings and paintings and petroglyphs, geoglyphs, and all these things came in there and did that too. So we can't rule that out as the thing. Sure. I, I mean, I think, yeah, no, I, and, and I think that's a reasonable, if you're looking at it from like a scientific perspective, that actually is very reasonable. I mean, I would say that. What else do we have if we don't have a scientific perspective? <laughs> yeah, exactly. This we have we have alien we have we have alien mummies if we don't have that. Um, exactly. Yeah. But yeah, so I just it's so like it's so hard to get in there, you know. Like, and these were small ape-like or chimp-style hominins, you know. I just it seems more plausible that those came from those than. Homo sapiens sapiens somehow or Neanderthals cramming their asses in there. I don't, you know, I don't know. Let if me you... ask you this. Sure. Let go me ahead. ask you this. Did modern humans go in there? Oh, we don't know. We do know. Well, after, right? Modern humans went in there. 
I got an email asking if I was small enough to go in there. Well, that's yeah, but the no people I, now. No, no, I know. No, I know. People I know. I get then, all the same size. I get what you're saying. We have. I know, but it was hard. It's hard there. though. It's not like any person can just get in there. Is what yeah, but the, the desire to explore. That's like, true. Something that that's a good you. point. Like, when I went africa it was dangerous as shit and those ancient homonyms were probably way more apt to like go check shit like that out than like a normal modern human survival even maybe there's another warring group that's coming after them and they're like oh there's this little hole let's dive in here it's kind of cramped and then they're getting shot at or stabbed with spears and they go a little farther like you can imagine all these scenarios where maybe the only people that even survived were the ones that were small enough well because this this puts a wrench in my Thinking, I mean, this something I am very interested in and do know a lot about is the mind and philosophy of the mind, and this puts a whole wrench in like the origins of metaphysics. Either way, so if it's true, so? well, if it's true, they're pondering death, they're pondering burials, they're pondering they're not even Homo sapiens sapiens. So the so yeah. the idea that we would be special in that regard gets taken away from that not that i need that but i'm just saying like the perspective of oh we're so much more different than all these other hominins and nature and mammals well, or whatever. Don't elephants have sort of something equivalent to burials they have graveyards they aren't burying them because they don't have thumbs and shovels but they have a, a sense of death and and consciousness and not being with that thing that you a loss of love i guess you could say at least yeah so then that comes that's i think that's what they were questioning too in the documentary was is it just not wanting to see a rotting corpse near you and just getting rid of it type of a thing or again if there's markings if there's art if there's something around there that might you know signify something more but again like you said it's just um I want to believe that that's the case, but I don't even know what that would mean if that was the case. I mean, we well, we can't we can't know intention, right? We can see signs archaeologically that this was a burial because they buried them and they put them in grave goods, flowers, and whatnot. But we, even if it wasn't as advanced as that, we still can't know their intentions until we have a time machine. Time machine. Um, but but we have this exact discussion, and even my Anthro one hundred and one class, like we talk about these intentional burials and then what did it mean you know did you not want to smell a stinky corpse did you not want to see grandma's legs get drug across the cave by hyenas and stuff uh is there a sense of afterlife is there a sense of of love and empathy and missing someone was it a an important hunter that supplied the group was it an important mother to everyone it, so yeah there's all of these questions we can't know that all we can work with is the evidence at that site and then go from that. And yeah, like I, I want it to be true too. I would love to think that <clears throat> that that empathy and intentional burials lasted so far back, 300,000 years in the past. But then you still had hunter-gatherers as recently as five, even historically, that, you know, when grandma's a little too slow, you leave her. She's part of the wolves now and she gets eaten by the wolves and you keep going and you're all sad about it, but that's just what you have to do because if everybody held back, they'd all freeze to death. So it's also regional. We can't just think, oh, 300,000 years ago, if this one group did that, everyone was doing that. It could have been very specific to that group. Meanwhile, everyone else is letting grandma get eaten by wolves. So it's just way more complicated than just, yeah, that's the point when that started. 
because there's group dynamics, there's individual intelligence, there's arguably tribal intelligence. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying it's, it's, it's very, very, very nuanced. I love it. That's why you're here. Um, quick question. And I don't want to get too, too much off course because I kind of want to get back into the evolution thing. But um, the first peoples in America, uh, Clovis first just has always been kind of a joke to me. It's kind of the one thing that I think Graham Hancock's gotten right, in my opinion. Um, not that it was his idea, per se, but just that he pushes that things are older. Now there's a cave in Chiquihite, yeah. Mexico, 30,000 years old that has... 200 stone tools that they found um what's stuff, the date on that i haven't heard of that one. Thirty thousand years ago mm-hmm. that's where that, i put it um so like that's double uh clovis um so what do yeah. what, what are we saying here do you think it's do you think there's people in south america there's a lot of yeah. dna between like easter island polynesia and also south america stuff like that so do you think people were going back and forth there kind of a thing and then going up or like what do you think was happening you're quite well read, my friend. Yeah, that's exactly what was happening. So Clovis first was because we found Clovis first. That was that old 15, 16,000 years ago. And then eventually we got I hope some anthropologists are listening to this show because they're going to be like, what the fuck are they talking about otherwise? Um, and then we had the Bering Land Bridge idea, and we used to think they walked across the ice. And then that got revised to, we didn't walk across the ice. We had seal skin canoes. And we kind of went inland and then, you know, could still hunt and fish and club seals and whatever. And then, yeah, we started to find evidence that predated Clovis by five, ten thousand 10,000 years, and then find genetic signatures of all these crazy-ass people that would leave and these little tiny boats to sail out to tiny islands in between them and then be like, well, what else is out there? Not knowing that the Pacific Ocean is out there, but then somehow they still survived. And there's evidence that they made it all the way to the modern day Chile and Peru, and then kind of integrated into the population or started their own that eventually got integrated. So yeah, I, I've always felt that same way too. I grew up during the Clovis first time. And I was like, this doesn't feel right. You know, and so it's been cool to see that that we've really modified that. And there's even um, sort of an X lineage from Europe that seemingly came across from that direction too. again, not walking over like Greenland and Iceland, but probably doing the same thing they were doing with the Bering Land Bridge uh, coming along the coast. So, yeah, it kind of looks like the new world just got swallowed up from the north, east, the northwest and then also the oceanic populations it's pretty crazy if you think about it yeah it is we did uh well i got into like thor heyerdahl this dude's making rafts floating from the coast of chile to the micronesian islands all sorts of crazy stuff um i didn't know about that what's that situation oh that's contiki it was it won best movie of the year in 1959 58 <laughs> something like that uh like it won an academy award uh for the documentary uh but thor heyerdahl was a ethno linguist or something i don't even know what the hell this guy's probably ethno archaeologist something like that um there's and, both there's ethno linguists yeah archaeologists and anyway so he, his ideas that are there there's you know, about like Easter Island. So we did, I did the whole series on Easter Island, the mainstream theories, the alternative theories, and then my own little 
nuggets that I found along the way. Um, and I just found the DNA that, so there's pre-Columbian, um, South American DNA, uh, and a lot of the Rapa Nui people, which would obviously signify that there was, you know, connection there prior to, you know, the Europeans coming. So, um, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Thor, Thor lingual. Thor Heyerdahl. Heyerdahl. I think you were saying linguistic something. As yeah, I, was I did. Here, I'll tell you. So I turned I'll it tell into... It's it's like H Y. Oh, A Google search will turn that up. That's that's pretty much only that person. I'm He's sure. an e- ethnographer, is what he is. He's an ethnographer. Oh yeah. Well, every culture anthropologist is an ethnographer. Yeah. That's so hey, got an idea. Since Maurice isn't here, can we call it the Mike and Mike show? Let's do it. Mike uh, and Mike. Because it's Mike and Mike's mind escape tonight. There you go. Taking over. Sorry, Maurice. We're changing the title as of right now. It is Mike and Mike's mind escape. I can't commit to being your co-host, but I think for right now, just for this episode, we should call it the Mike and Mike mind escape. (laughs) Um, So I do want to get into more of the evolution stuff. So I'm a believer in evolution, believe it or not. Um, (laughs) We talked about this, man. Belief is different than science. You understand evolution. So I I don't understand it on the micro level at all. I mean, I I know what alleles are. I was kind of watching movies and trying to... Oh, that's funny. I just gave that lecture last week. Um, So let's make this more esoteric and turn away even more of your audience. Well, no, I'm just just trying to understand because I don't... Have we ever... Like, what's something that we've observed... Um, evolving in nature, like uh, everything. No, I I know, but like on on like a like a me- there's something a there's something changing. called Hardy Weinberg Hardy Weinberg equilibrium. Are you familiar with that? No. So it's p squared plus two pq plus q squared equals one, and what that is is the frequency of the homozygous dominant, the heterozygotes too, because it's T, big T, and little t, big T, and then the homozygous recessive, okay? So what you do is you look at the alleles in the population, okay? You calculate all of those things, big T, big T, big T, little t, little t, little t, in the population. And then you run through those allele frequencies through Hardy-Weinberg's equilibrium equation, which is very, very simple. And then if they don't match up, that means the population is evolving. Because the criteria for Hardy-Weinberg equilibrium is that it's a small or large population, so you don't have gene drift. There's no natural selection. uh, There's no gene flow. And mating is completely random which hardly ever happens. So that's probably going to be something that gets your, your genotype frequencies off after doing that equation. So you can see that without even having to sit there with a microscope and watch the population evolve. You can do that too. And we do that all the time with viruses and bacteria. This is why we have all of these problems trying to get our vaccines right, because they are evolving and we can see that in very short periods of time. But even outside of that, in macroevolution, we can look at those genotype frequencies, the observed genotype frequencies in the population, compare those to what the population should be in Hardy-Weinberg equilibrium, 
and then see if it's evolving or not. So there's like many ways. Is, to is there anything they've ever that observed that's not evolving? Have they ever seen anything that doesn't evolve or isn't evolving? I don't know how. I mean, everything changes. It's so, so the definition of evolution, a lot of people think it's change over time. It's not. It's a change in the frequency of alleles from one generation to the next. And yeah, you could probably have a situation where the environment's the same and mating is completely random, even though that seems far-fetched. And it's an infinitely large population with no gene drift. There's no gene flow. Yeah, that probably has happened many, many times. But evolution is the norm. Stability is the anomaly. Interesting. Um, so where do we come from in terms of like, I know the earliest thing I've gone back and found, you know, it was like a tree shrew that ate, you know, sugar and, and the glycose and it, it grew their brain and then they become, you know, a, a primate, blah, 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 blah. So we, we get, we go from all that, but what do you think caused the mutation from whatever our ancestor that was similar to the other primates like what do you think happened to why we're so different like we are so different and i i think i know what you're going to say but from a scientific standpoint you're not gonna know what i'm gonna say there's no way you could uh, well i thought you were gonna say aliens but no 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 that's way too far back for that to have any bearing on this what i was gonna say is that's such a funny question because that was legitimately the lecture I gave at 930 this morning to my anthropology class. Oh, really? That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> you couldn't have asked that question better to be more in line with exactly the lecture that I gave this morning at 930 to my anthropology class. Synchronicity. I'll baby. still answer it. Yeah, that is a point of synchronicity. I'll still answer it. And I'll give you the Cliff Notes version probably more succinctly than I did, because this will be the third time, because I did give them a Cliff Notes version of this last time. So it wasn't a mutation. There were a lot of mutations happening. The main thing was a meteorite hit off the coast of Mexico, Yucatan Peninsula, about 65 million years ago. The dinosaurs were cold-blooded, okay? So they had to be out during the day. We, our ancestors, which tree shrew you're right about that we were about the size and shape of a tree shrew back then but importantly we had homeothermy we made our own body heat so the dinosaurs that couldn't fly or swim started to die out and that meant that there's this new ecological niche available to us during the daytime where we could come out and start occupying that so it's called an adaptive radiation or punctuated equilibrium where there's these rapid changes that happen in evolutionary time, everything stays the same. And then a huge group of animals die for whatever reason, all these other ones come and take over and start occupying those ecological niches. So to answer your question, it wasn't a mutation. It's that we, Oh, I'll ask you and your viewers. Uh, Cause I asked my class this too. So again, form follows function, which is one of the things that pisses me off the most about these cake mummies is none of it makes sense in the context of either of those so we have uh more convergent eyes overlapping visual fields so we have depth perception we have grasping hands and especially an opposable thumb a lot of early primates had uh, grasping feet as well we have generalized dentition so we can eat a lot of different things we have color vision we have tactile pads nails instead of claws 
So think of the suite of characteristics together. What environment are those most adapted to? Cold weather? No. Trees, bro. Trees. trees. We went up into the trees and evolved to an arboreal environment getting about 55 to 60 million years oh, ago. Oh, you're talking about... I, never mind. I'm, I'm thinking Homo sapiens. Never mind. Okay, that makes sense. Well, we're about to get there. So over the course of that roughly 60 million years, we evolved all of these traits that are very useful in the trees. Uh, generalized dentition so we can eat fruits and leaves, bugs and lizards. We can see whether the fruit's ripe or not, whether it's worth going out there risking our lives to actually get the fruit. So we can see the color spectrum as it changes from unripe to ripe. Grasping is obviously important, so we can grab onto the limbs. Overlapping visual fields, so we can see as we jump from limb to limb. There's a lot of selective pressure. If you're not good at that and you fall and die, all the ones that can do it continue to do it. So we evolved in the trees, and then six to eight million years ago, our ancestors, the hominins, came down, started walking upright, because there's new selective pressures. Now we need to see over grass. We need to carry our offspring. We need to carry food. Uh, it's that, you know, you don't have to run faster than the bear. You have to run faster than your buddy. If you see a leopard coming through the grass, you take off. Your friend who's still walking quadrupedally doesn't. That's strong selective pressure for upright walking. So there's a number of traits that came from coming down from the trees. But we're the only ones that did that. Every other primate is arboreal to some extent even gorillas and chimps go up there to make beds and stuff so what about like yeah uh... it's, it's both that we went up into the trees and then we specifically came down stood upright and then a ton of other stuff happened. so what about like uh, i mean i don't know if you have a take on this but like what about like terence mckenna food of the gods and the stoned ape theory paul stamets all that kind of stuff do you think that there's any validity or do you think that's maybe just one of many things that contributed to um you know all that stuff um yeah i do uh i feel like it's still contributing to be i honest. mean we know now through research that like psilocybin and all the recent tests and everything like that does create neuroplasticity and um, yeah. definitely allows room for creativity and growth so yeah, and there's over two different, 200 different types of psychedelics throughout the world in all of these various forms, flowers and obviously fungi and stuff. So, yeah, if, if we're desperate, we're eating things, eventually we're going to trip balls on something. The thing is, though, that like, <clears throat> I think you're right to focus on the neuroplasticity because when you go on like even the most enlightening LSD or psilocybin or whatever trip, you can't bring back that information with you. There's like almost a firewall of sorts where it just it kind of filters. Oh, through I was like told in that realm, it's the realm of imagination. And if you can pull something out of it, you do so. Yeah. And I, I almost feel like we visit that realm nightly when we sleep. Or, you know, obviously during near-death experiences, some people describe things like that during UFO encounters even. So I do think there's like this unmanifested realm where all information is available to us. And then these substances kind of take us there. But then we're pulled back, you know, like when Dorothy comes out of the Wizard of Oz and everything's in black and white again. It's almost like that. But, 
you, you, you're right. I think the neuroplasticity that happens and the way we have these different connections all throughout our brain, the, the problem is that that's kind of Lamarckian to say that we pass those down. Yeah. And you, you know, would never be able to change our be able brain to physiology. That. Prove the what? said you would never be able to prove that. I mean, obviously we can't go back and see if that, that occurred. I don't even know what you would test to figure that out. Well, you could now. You you could definitely take a group of monkeys and then give a, a group psilocybin to have, have a control group and then see if their offspring had that neuroplasticity that their mushroom-eating uh, ancestors had. So it, it would point. be a pretty simple That's study to do. You could do it now. Um, and the monkeys probably have a ton of fun in the process too, depending on the set and setting. But the thing is... They're that, like, finally, um, we're not one of these... You know, we're not getting pumped full of these crazy chemicals. We actually have something yeah. we can work with here. Thanks <laughs> for not giving me AIDS, bro. That was kind Jesus. of a fun trip I went on just now. Yeah. Jesus. Um, no, that's just the thing. Like, if you get a tattoo, your kid doesn't come out with a tattoo. If you increase your neuroplasticity, if you increase these neural connections throughout your brain because of mushroom trips, that doesn't mean your offspring is going to have them. But, but, and this is important. And humans and chimps and even uh, actually arguably a number of other uh, self-recognizing advanced mammals, you can take the culture and it becomes the biology. And biology influences culture, culture influences biology. This is sort of a unique area of anthropology where we talk about biocultural evolution because you can't separate them. Lactose tolerance. Our faces retracting because of the use of fire and stone tools created all of these changes. Agriculture did a ton of them. So even if you're not making that change in your neural connections heritable, there is still the substance. And you say, here, take this child. You know, what did you learn from this? And then they take that and give it to their child and they give it to their child. So there absolutely could be some sort of cultural heritability to that. But yeah, it's as far as like, did it change our brains? And I think that's what Terrence McKenna was saying is that it made us evolve. Yeah, like visual acuity is one of the main, which I will say, I've done weird that. things with my vision. I'm not saying it makes it better, but there are weird things that happen aside from the visuals, like aside from that. Like you can, yeah. I've seen like weird. I don't know how to explain this, but especially with like black lights, black light will give off a glow on certain things, but it's completely different than. I don't know what's happening. I'm not a biologist. I'm not pretending to know what's happening, but I will say that weird things happen with your vision, in in my opinion, in a positive way when you do that stuff. So, um, but again, I don't know what I'm talking about. So. I guess the other the other aspect of that is there's that old Joe Rogan talking point where he brings it up every other episode about the doubling and the tripling of the brain size. We don't know what happened. And um, I saw a paper last year about how they don't they no longer believe that the cooked meat was part of that or something along those lines. Really? Yeah. Leslie Aiello's expensive tissue hypothesis. I have no idea. I just I find that hard to believe. I will try and find it and add it in there if I can find it. But I remember seeing something about how they know. I mean, the hunting techniques I think was still what they're mainly hanging on to. Um, But yeah, something about I don't know. Again, this is a scientific paper, so this person could have just been like you know a hater on 
that woman you just mentioned or whatever, you know. Leslie Aiello, yeah, who's I believe she was in South Africa too, if I'm not mistaken. No, I'm thinking somebody else. Um, yeah, no, that that theory's been around since at least the nineties and does make a lot of sense. Um, so I'd be interested to see how that was refuted. If you could find that, I'd love for you to send that to me. Absolutely, I will I will definitely look for it after this. Um yeah, I just I, but it, but so what's the main explanation that people in your field use to describe why our brain size double or tripled or whatever people use, you know, these a lot of people use as woo, but like there's obviously some obviously Yeah, no, and it's, it's crazy cuz it happened as an acceleration too. So if you look at the brain size uh, and we, and we put this in the context of cubic centimeters or cranial capacity. Um so with the early, early hominins going back six to eight million years ago, it was about the same as a chimpanzee. And it stayed the same all the way through the Australopithecines about 3.5 million years ago. So for the first three to three and a half to four million years, brain size didn't really change. It was all about postcranial anatomy, standing upright in our hip morphology, our nominate bone, oscox, or whatever you want to call it was adjusting to being upright walking. And then there was a gradual shift beginning with Homo erectus to where our postcranial anatomy was about as modern as modern humans. There's still some obvious differences. And then it shifted to our cranial facial anatomy. Our brain started to increase in size and most importantly, reorganize. Our frontal lobes came forward, also expanded medial-laterally. And then there was a good amount of shift and the parietal lobes toward the upper back of the skull. And then if you look at that process, especially over the last 800,000 years through Homo heidelbergensis and all of the various root offenses, the ancestors that led to modern humans, then it's like this really steep curve where it's not just about size, but also shape. And the trait that defines modern humans is neurocranial globularity. We have really round skulls. So it's this upper skull thing. And that's one of the main points I make with regard to these, these advanced gray aliens is that they have the exact trait we'd expect to see based on this accelerating curve in the way that our neurocranial globularity, the shape, and also the brain size change because we have a threefold increase over the course of that three and a half million years. So I, just, I, found, I cited a paper. I found this paper. This point real quick. Sorry, go ahead. I finished in my last book, second to last book, uh, the extra tempestro model. I, I cited a paper where they show that the most efficient brain size is three times larger than modern humans. So we've already been, we've already gone from 420 cubic centimeters to about 1500 cubic centimeters. And the best brain size, as far as the efficiency of all of these neural connections, may be three times larger than ours, which is arguably what you see in these things. So I, I think there's a very clear connection there. Well, that's fascinating. Um, I, yeah, I uh, I was just curious what you thought because, I mean, like I said, that's something people. Well, throw what over. was the paper you were talking about, though? I didn't want to interrupt. And no, I didn't want to interrupt. I, I interrupted you. We. In the thing uh so this says okay so this is a paper from scientific america or american that says um cooked fat not meat may have led to bigger uh hominins and brain so it wasn't i guess it's 
technically still food, but the I'm fat. I'm sorry. Is fat tissue? <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. I didn't know that aspect. I didn't know that that was the part of it before that that was the important yeah, part. Yeah, and that does kind of make sense because fat is a store of energy. But that Leslie Azello, Leslie Aiello is good to go because yeah, fat still knees, right? She's, she's she's top knees top of the game. It was a great paper. You know, I I still go back and read it sometimes just for fun. What's the biggest anomaly? Like, what's something that that in your field that keeps people up at night? Like, what's the biggest mystery out there? If all these other things aren't really big mysteries, like, what's the thing that's 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 keeping people awake at night? If there's anything, there is. But we've already <laughs> bored your audience to death with all of this very specific stuff and. I, people are loving this inside I get, baseball. I got to be honest, but we're getting comments. I've never, I, you know, I'm very if I, impressed. If I get into that, it's it's going to take us down another road that's just so far removed. Okay, well let me let me let me bring this uh, let me bring this up then. I'll, that's I'll, like I'll, asking an IRS agent what's <laughs> what's the what's the part of the tax code that pisses you off the most? You know? No, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, I could get into it, but everybody would hate me after. Okay, so. Uh, since Rogan always talks about, you know, chimps and evolution and everything. So he was talking about how pigs, if you take a pig, a domesticated pig, and they have some weird, like, flex gene where within two months they can become a wild boar. Or not a wild boar, but, like, you know, a feral pig again. Um, so what about that... Um, is that just within pigs, do you know? And then if is that possible for humans? Like, could we become feral? I know there was one story of, a, like, a man that was raised by wolves in India that was, you know, had some serious, serious developmental, um, you know, issues. But aside from that, um, is it possible um, that we could undomesticate ourselves? And is that what, you know... Bigfoot is not Bigfoot, but you know what I'm saying. Um, is that what people are oh, seeing when they see Bigfoot? Some hair. No, no, no. Like, no. Is that's like you know what I'm saying? Like, is that what people are thinking that they're seeing? Is some feral human being on the outskirts of town or something? You know, something like that. Um, I don't know. Just just throwing know. stuff out there. But so, but so yeah. yeah, you're right. That, you're right. We. I don't. I mean, I haven't looked into it enough. To know if there's like a flex gene i don't know what that is i can't comment on that i um, i made that but, up i don't I, it was in the okay, moment good. it sounded it sounded it, sound, it sounded like, good um it did sound cool but, but there I is a they do have a real thing they do have a real thing though where with it very quickly they go from domesticated to feral yeah and and vice versa like i i cited um again in the extra tempestra model how this happens and even the specific genetic sequences that happen uh, over a time where you take foxes, for instance, this is one of the first studies that was done with foxes and they started to domesticate them and their tails drooped down and their ears drooped down. They started barking and no, no wild type foxes bark. So it can happen really fast within generations, just a few generations with wild animals. There's absolutely no reason why it couldn't go in the opposite direction too. Or if you put in that environment that you acclimate to it and then eventually adapt to it and you start, you know, foraging for food the same way or tying flies or taking 
I, I don't know, making bows and arrows to take down elk. Like I, I don't see if why if it can go that fast in one direction with any mammal that we domesticate, including ourselves, as we self-domesticate, why it couldn't go in the other direction too. So this kind of ties in with what I asked you earlier, which you said you asked your class um, earlier today, which is that why are we so different? Like I think that us domesticating ourselves obviously has a lot to do with that. We talked about, I think one time you were on, we talked about Gobekli Tepe and like the dawn of civilization and 12,000, roughly 12,000 years ago and people starting to make beer and agriculture and domesticating animals and things of that nature. Um, Wait, did you say making beer? Yeah. Yeah, they made beer. I love that you added that, by the way. That's a great addition. <laughs> I don't drink beer, but I, I I will drink a dank beer here and there. I used to drink All right. beers on All fish right. a lot occasionally. It's not my thing. Sure. But, um, I just love that you added it to that list of things, because you're right. It was well, the almost exact same time that we domesticated barley and hops. Well, they'll uh, tell actually, you. I something. Barley and what's the other? Malt. Yeah, malt. well, they'll, they'll tell you anywhere in ancient Egypt where you find a bakery next door, you'll find the brewery. So, uh huh. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. The, the crops were domesticated around the same time that we realized that if something sits in a pot too long, it's going to get you fucked up. Absolutely. Um, so, talk about a good synchronicity. Yeah. If we, so, is that what makes us so different, though, this self-domestication? Are we the only thing that's ever domesticated itself that you're aware of? Um, I can't say for sure, but I think there's some evidence of it in ants. I'll leave that to your, your viewers slash listeners to figure out, but I do think they've done things that have modified themselves by changing their environment. I know, I know they've, they've practiced um, agriculture in order to grow antibiotics, which is crazy unto itself to even say something like that about an ant. Um, but when you do that, you change your environment. So you would expect that you change in relation to that environment you created. And that's all we did is we went from subsisting in a natural environment to subsisting in an environment where we change nature for our purposes. And then we started adapting to that changed environment, which is again, why we have lactose tolerance. It can drink milk and a number of other things. Um, other than, ants, can we though, dude, can we drink milk? Because I'm start. I grew up drinking like a half a gallon a day. And now I try and drink this thing. This thing destroys me. I don't even, I don't even know if we're well, not everybody to... has it. Not yeah. everybody has it. It's, it's only people who have ancestors that were subjected to the selective pressures that come with eating cheese. Yeah, I mean, we're the only mammal that eats the milk of other mammals, correct? Or drinks the milk that of That I know milk. of. Yeah. 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 And, and, and there was strong selective pressure in the East African cattle complex all throughout Kenya and Tanzania and all the way down. Um, the warriors would mix the milk with blood and oftentimes just drink the blood. And then the the rest of the group didn't mix it with the blood they would just drink the straight milk so if that's you know they didn't kill the cow the obvious thing is we'll just kill the cow and eat the meat but then that thing's gone you can parasitize it you can feed off of what it produces while still keeping it alive and that's what we did for thousands and thousands of years in that area so populations that are descended from those groups 
have selection for the gene that doesn't turn off the production of lactase, which is the enzyme that breaks down lactose and milk. So they keep producing it, but that's not everybody. Some people don't have it. Most of East Asia doesn't have it because they domesticated pigs and chickens and pheasants. So they weren't milking pigs. They weren't relying on milk. So therefore they're not lactose tolerant, but none of us should be. It's just one of these biocultural things where certain groups did that. Our culture changed and it influenced our biology. Well, that's like alcohol is a weird one too, because alcohol is terrible for your body. But we evolved because water was so shit back in the day that we needed to drink something, right? Kill stuff. Yeah. Um, But so, okay, so we're talking about domestication. We self-domesticated. I know there's the Wu Wu fans out there that want to believe we've been domesticated, but... um, you know, is there is that's the other thing too is like, do you think that there's any group of hominin or hominin that or that's ever domesticated another group or like how we lived alongside Homo naledi as Homo sapiens? Yeah, that, something like that. I mean, domesticated or enslaved? Though. No, no, not not not. That's that's the wrong the wrong thing. Not like enslavement or anything like that, but just showed them like, hey, here's some agriculture. Here's um, do you know what I'm saying? So it's not like they're well. By the we, time we, agriculture started, it was only us. There was no, only I know, I know, but I, I guess that was a bad. Stadiums. But showing well, them, well, let me, show, showing them tools, showing them things that maybe sure. they didn't have the knowledge of. Yeah, well, that's why I asked because, um, in my mind, after giving this lecture so many times, I can't help but think that this overlap between advanced Homo erectus, um, say even conservatively, like 1.5, 1.8 million years ago, where they had fire, they had stone tools, they had a whole different version of stone tools that had evolved over millions of uh, one million years specifically. First ones were like 3.3, 3 million years ago. These people were living at about 1.5 million years ago. They overlap with this group of, um, of robust australopithecines known as paranthropists who had these big jaws and these tiny little foreheads because they were vegetarians. And and I, every time I give this lecture, I can't help but think like, what was that relationship? You know, were, were we enslaving them? We clearly killed them off because they would have been fine. But all of these other more advanced hominin species that eventually led to us survived they died they died out about 1.2 million years ago so what happened to them and what was that relationship like and we're talking about like five six hundred thousand year span of overlap there's probably times we had sex with them there's times we killed them there's times we enslaved them there's probably times we taught them stuff and we're like come hang out with us you know you seem cool has there ever been found like a multi um so, like, have they ever found different hominins in the same, like, war or, like, you know, they were fighting and they found bones of both in the same, you know, environment or something like that, like an ancient war or battle or something along those lines? Have they ever found anything like that? I mean, that far back, there, you couldn't assess that from the the site, the archaeological site. But so we, if they found bones find... in the same level with tools, they wouldn't immediately think, oh, they killed each other or something like that. 
I mean, depending on the context, if there's like a spearhead in somebody's spine, yeah, that's a pretty good indication. The uh, the robust australopithecines, the ones with the big faces, so they traded brain for face. They did the opposite. We traded big brain for small face. And that's probably a big part of why we survived and they didn't, as we could outsmart them. Have we found one of our stone tools our ancestor stone tools in their spine no um but you get into more recent time and and yeah we we were interbreeding with neanderthals it's probably the same thing there you know as, as far as your questions it's hard to answer because we can't know i'm just wait, well, yeah we somebody mentioned otsi the ice man that might that person had an arrow in them but does that just mean that they were killed by their own type of same species you know whatever it, you'd have to do a lithic analysis on the type of tool that was in their body and see if it's associated with their group or another group there, there's really not an answer to that question until we have a time machine bro and we need right. time machines because we we'll can do... answer all of those questions with them and i can't wait until we do and honestly you know we haven't talked a lot about this theory but if they're coming back now as far in the future as they're coming back from to now, and as far in the past as they're going back to, are all connected. For all intents and purposes, they're all the same now. And so questions like that can be answered with that technology. And I can't wait until we have access to it. It's going to open up so many interesting areas of inquiry within not just anthropology, but philosophy, psychology, sociology obviously physics it's it's going to be interesting we have a, a few questions here uh, i want to get to before we wrap it up uh adam uh, he wanted to know how come uh, we have chins and other apes don't facial retraction so some sort our of face have reduced and retracted the size of our teeth and all of our masticatory musculature have retracted beyond the point where a mandible serves a function for attachment in all of these places. So what that means is that we have this projection, what's known as a mental eminence or a chin, and it's just a byproduct of our faces shrinking. Very interesting. Um, yeah, I, I uh, yeah, that is interesting. So, one thing I've been thinking about is like, what makes us different? Like, you know, like I said, I've been talking with a few people about this kind of stuff. What makes us different or special? If we even are special, that might just be a delusion. Um, but the the fact that we can ask questions. So, like, I didn't know this, and I found this out through watching documentaries and stuff is no chimp, even though chimps know sign language and there's a decent amount that have, there's even, I think, a gorilla, I forget her name, that she passed away. Coco. So, Coco, that knew like a ton of sign, but no primate has ever asked a question even though they know sign language. So I find that fascinating. 
Um, did but they did know? we teach them the signs to ask about the ephemeral consciousness that pervades well, but all so, aspects of the universe? Right, now, right, right. How do you right. teach that in sign language? No, but that's what I'm saying. Do they know it all? You know, do they secretly just know it all? Are they, you know? No, they don't know figure. it all. We don't even know it all. Yeah. We're dumb as shit, man. Yeah. Have you heard the things that people say? Like, yeah, we you think mean aliens, that alien are mummies, are real. You know? <laughs> Let's We've pull it up. Et oh, wrong wrong image wrong image that was a quote. At least it was that. That was a quote. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, we got et phone home. Is that the one? Is yeah, that that's. The cake one? I mean, come on. We've all seen et. That looks exactly like fucking et. No, it doesn't. Et had a big head. Yeah, that's true. Et much had a bigger face. Wider. That's what they tried to copy because they're no, a bunch no, of grave robbers that don't know wider. anything about anatomy. Yeah. Way wider, yeah, all of it. It's so. It's all so, so we say fake. Is there anybody that's ever faked, like successfully, like tricked scientists with this kind of stuff? The Piltdown man was an example, but what's the? Uh, you can so, do like God, a basic the, like, summary. We don't have to. Yeah, late eighteen hundreds. These dudes. Same thing that's happening now, which is maybe why this pisses me off as much as anything else. Uh, <clears throat> so everything that was happening, I remember. Remember I mentioned, um, oh, Raymond Dart. I just remembered his name. So, oh, wow, there's so many weird parallels here that I hadn't thought about before. So the Taung skull that was found in this this quarry in South Africa, not far from where I worked and where my advisor, who was also Lee Berger's advisor, got his start, um, was taken to Raymond Dart in South Africa. And he was like, yeah, kind of an ape, kind of a human. And then you had the Neanderthals in 1859 or 1856, right around the time that Darwin published on the origins of species in 1859. So there's all these things happening about ape man, ape man evolution. And then these group of assholes decided to try to shut it down, probably in the same way that they did with this little cake mummy. And they made, they took orangutan bones and then mixed them with human bones and placed them strategically so they would be found. And then they were uh, brought to the surface and everybody's like, what the fuck is this? You know? And then they said, well, this is a fake. We did this. And then everyone's like, oh, well, evolution can't be real. God damn. There's a lesson in that. There is a fucking lesson in that. Holy shit. Never even thought about that. I'm so glad you brought this up because how is that any different than what's happening now? It's not. It's not. Why? It's not. But why would you? I don't understand. Like why? Google I mean, Piltdown, I, man. Google Piltdown. Yeah, well, it's the same fucking thing. I, I don't understand though. Like why hoax though? Like, is it mental illness? Do Disinformation. They, yeah. They but... were coming from a religious standpoint. These people are coming from a protecting secret standpoint. They're the gatekeepers that don't want this to get out. They're happy to make it embarrassing. Those those cake mummies are the Piltdown. God damn it. I can't believe I never made that connection until now. All right. Somebody else uh, somebody else asked, um, what do you think about David Grush? Or the, the you know, the revelations that he laid upon Congress. I think that's great. We need that. That's awesome who could ever speak badly about that i don't i don't know what else we could say other than 
be appreciative of him taking the risk to do that. I think it's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think More that people should? What do you think's going <clears throat> think on? Do you, th- do you think we have stuff or no? I mean, oh, not like that's better. a rhetorical question, right? <laughs> not like point, that's a fucking. Well, I don't know, man. Question. I, I, I like you said, we're dumb, and I do think that we're on some level we're just these like biological AI that repeat each other and have like some, it's like a feedback loop. But like, if you look at like the rhetoric online, most of I'd say ninety two to ninety four percent isn't even original. Um, so it's just people all repeating stuff and I'm not saying there's nothing real to it. You know how I feel about this. I definitely think that there's something real to the phenomenon. I like what you're doing and your insights on it. I think there's interesting stuff here, but to say that we definitely have a craft and possibly bodies, I don't know. I mean, but you're a bio and if here's the other thing is if they were to come to somebody and say, hey, we need somebody to look at this body. I would hope it would be somebody like you, because <laughs> you know what the fuck you're talking about. You'd be like, this is bullshit right away if, if you think it. You know what I'm saying? So, um, yeah. Has anybody ever approached you, bro? So, yeah. So, So, you're right. I think <laughs> I believe David Grush, but I believe he believes what it's he's saying. Not a belief system, man. It's Epistemology, not a though. Belief system. Yeah. yeah. There are things that, for a long time, we could believe, and then there becomes mounting evidence that makes us say, "Well, this is probably real." You know, I'd never seen a UFO until last year. But I was still convinced it was real. I didn't have to see one. I didn't need personal evidence or even someone to like wheel one out in Times Square. I knew it was real because enough people have saw it. So when people testify in Congress with very informed information, it's not a belief. That's just something that we file away as being important to our worldview. And it's going to happen more. And a lot of shit's going to get weird and it's going to change. And this is a good start to that. It's a process. What he's doing is important to this process. And I commend him highly for taking it on because it's not easy. But it's it's critical to what we yeah. all need to move us into the place where we can finally understand what has been going on. Isn't that why you started the show? Isn't that why we're here? Yeah. To understand no. it? I just, I've become a little bit more, not skeptical. I just... I'm using more of my philosophical tools than I ever have because of the fuckery that also accompanies a lot of the shit, whether it be, you know, alien mummies or fucking, you know, you name it. There's just a lot of other bullshit. And I've seen from holding, hosting like Twitter spaces and seeing how people interact, watching trolls and bots and psyops, you know, all that stuff. So. Oh, here. This is what you need, bro. Talk to my friend, Greg Bishop. Do not engage. <laughs> so, Do not engage with the trolls. So, no, and by the way, I, I don't engage. I don't really. So he, that's the I'm more of an observer of all this. I know I don't engage. I'm more of an observer. Yeah, I'll throw my opinions out once in a while, but it's just more of observation. And I think that for me, um, 
yeah, I don't know. I just, I'm not skeptical of what these people are saying. I'm skeptical of the people at the top and what they know. Because I know humans and I know the level of intelligence. So that you he- think they're using him as part of the same PSYOP that's been going on? I'm not even saying it's a PSYOP. Years. I'm saying that maybe somebody was either misinformed, misheard something, mis whatever. Uh, again, I could be wrong. I hope I'm wrong. I hope we have cool shit that we don't even know about. Um, yeah. I just know a lot about the Manhattan Project, too, and the leaks that were involved with that, our most secretive project of all times. There were still spies. We knew about it. Which he, he made the point in Jesse Michaels' doco that that's why they wrapped it into that. That's why they wrapped it in the Manhattan Project, because there's all these levels of secrecy that would make it easy to do that, to take it off the grid and put it into the private sector and hide it. And it's been hidden. And there's all these ancestral archetypal assholes that just kept that mentality going since the 1940s and that we're we're sick of it (laughs) like i'm fucking sick of it i guess i I guess yeah i mean i just i I would feel better if there was like a face like an oppenheimer or like you know you name one of the million amazing scientists that we've had that have pushed uh us into the next realm of engineering and science and i just don't see that in this field not and it just makes me nervous about you don't see that in this field nikola tesla you don't see that yeah that's him, that's he wasn't Einstein, but, they, but they're not all these people yeah, that they're not UFO suddenly people have there. access to information that is so far advanced yeah i einstein Oh, I'm with you, by the way, with the insights. I'm I'm with you on the insights. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about bureaucratic bullshit. And yeah, yeah, that's That's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about what you're talking about. Yeah, bureaucratic bullshit is politics. It's now a politics. By the way, it's now a political thing. (laughs) So is it though? I mean, look at that. Look at that congressional hearing. Yeah, you got I mean, AOC and Matt Gates, who would arguably be either having sex or killing each other, depending on whether or not she was a sex slave. They're talking about the same thing with informed questions. That's interesting as fuck, dude. Yeah, that is. I mean, look, and that's why you're right. That's why I do the shows to bring people together over the greater mysteries of life, because we do have so many petty differences and bullshit and things like that, that these where do we come from? Where are we going? What what are our origins? These are definitely things I think about all the time. Like I said, I just I don't know. I don't know why I've gotten more. Um, I don't know. I just just You're the government for the CIA. That's <laughs> yeah. Just but You're just one the of them now, ju- just the government stuff though. By the way, like I I've had my own experiences. I know people that smoke DMT that talk to a- aliens every day. I know people that you know. I know this shit happens, and I know I'm not saying I don't believe it. I'm just saying maybe it's because of I know too much about MK Ultra and like I've read all these books on all these other things. I just know that they know how the mind works and I watch the way people react to these alien mummies and it's so easy to convince people of such simplistic things that are just not true that the yeah, bigger but things here, let me make know. this point real quick I think it I think the problem they're running into and this is important is that it used to be easy to convince everyone that this is bullshit and also to convince a lot of other people that weren't sure but now there's a dedicated group of human beings alive today that recognize that it is all bullshit and they're pushing hard. And importantly, 
I've been saying this a lot lately because I think it is very true. The visitors themselves are the ones pushing for this. It's coming from the top. It's coming from the ones most involved in this because they're the ones that have been doing it for tens of thousands of years. Like, look at the way they're scrambling to try to get involved in this. Like Chuck Schumer, you think he wants to be talking about UFOs and non-human intelligence, even though you could drop the N on that? No, this isn't a priority for him unless it's made a priority to him. And Mm -hmm. it's being made a priority, not because of anything he's doing, but because of what they're doing and what they've been doing. And there's something coming and they want to get out in front of it so they're not embarrassed when it happens because there are leaders they're the ones that are supposed to be leading us through all the craziness and the media is supposed to be too but they dropped the ball on this largely across many different platforms yeah i mean look i agree with you on all that i'm not again i'm not i'm not a hater i just i want i i don't want to believe i want to know it's real or i want to not know it's real and for me because i do have like ocd that is the uncertainty aspect of that is what make drives my OCD crazy. So yeah, there's when I see the rhetoric and it gets dumber and dumber, and then I see the responses. <laughs> know, that's hard. It's just it's like okay, what are we doing? I feel like we're going in reverse, you know. And and maybe again, that's just my perception and my own biases and things like that. So, I own, so here, I own my own shit, by I, the way. You know, I, I always speak honest on my show about what I'm feeling, how I feel about it. Those kinds absolutely. Of things. Let's get honest, brother. So I. I've never been diagnosed, but definitely have OCD, ADHD, and I do have dyslexia. The thing that helps me is not focusing on all this stuff that happens, but just sitting back and like looking at it, you know? Because if you take yourself out of all of that, that's what gives you that anxiety with that mentality. If you step back and you just kind of watch it happen, you know, you kind of dip in. I told you I didn't watch the Mexican thing. I didn't watch the Grush hearings. I didn't watch any of it. But I'm gaining information that's filtered through everyone else that has OCD and ADHD. And then it comes to me in a pure form, you know? Like, I'm not, I'm not saying this like everyone should do it, but people like you and me who do suffer from these anxiety issues, that's a very useful tool I've found. And especially because there's a long game, game happening here. It's not every day you have to be involved in it. Who gives a fuck? Well, you could use it there's for your something bit. happening. Yeah, pattern recognition. There's something is. happening that's going to be over the course of arguably decades going back a while. But things that are kind of playing out in the near term. Dude, I mean, that's again, that's how I started the show based on a synchronicity and going through like a spiritual awakening. And I've kind of whittled all all the bullshit like there is bullshit. out. Like that's that's I guess for me, it's like and it's not that I don't know what's real or what to wade through. It's that why does that still exist? And why are there people still latching onto that so much that like I know people that know. I don't know. I'm not. That's a whole other can of words, but. Um, the fact again, that, this is the last thing I'll say because I'm gonna hang up the second I'm done with this. I'm not, that would be really rude. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that Classic. we talked about the fact that we talked about my uh fiction book that's weird as shit, uh, and mostly sex and drugs. 
for about five minutes and the alien cake mummies for like 20 indicates that the focus is on the wrong thing. The alien cake mummies, you know, and I saw a post you made earlier, like this is bullshit. I can't believe we're even talking about this, but we kept talking about it. All we have to do is stop talking about the bullshit and focus on. I agree, but you're an expert. I'm not saying this like, no, I'm I know, not but saying, like we need to focus on my book, but just anything other than the distractions. Anything we should clip what bullshit. you said about it, though, and put it out there. Be like, this dude loves aliens and writes books about them and is also a biological anthropologist. And he says this is fucking bullshit. That's what we should make the clip of and put it out there and be like, pay attention, people. Was that my quote? I think I said you said uh, this is we shit. Can't, we can't we can't rule it out. I said we can't rule it out. These are probably real. If they're not yeah. cake, yeah. if they're not cake, then they're definitely yeah. real. I think yeah. this mics. <laughs> oh, it's funny. I came into it like I can't make jokes about this. Now I'm making jokes. So I no, think dude. we've both cleansed ourselves. Of dude, people the, are gonna walk away not knowing what to think. Jokes, real. By the way, know. by the way, real quick. Oh, quick, I have a question for you. Since it's the Mike and Mike show, I get to ask you questions, too. Uh, the term fuckery. Origins. Because I have an origin point for that term. I wonder if it's the same one. I mean, when we were younger, we used to say, like, fuckery, you know, bowduckery, stupid things like that. But chicanery, it's kind of all in the same So it got vibe. twisted yeah. the same kind of... Why? What's your origin? Like, mine is a, a a show called "Our Flag Means Death." I'd never. Oh yeah, dude! That I was watching that show. I like that show. And Who's the main guy with the 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 from the Flight of the Concords? I like that guy. Yeah, it's Reese Darby. Yeah, I I interviewed with him on his podcast. Oh really? That dude's got a podcast. Oh, I think you. He did. Yeah. He well, he has two podcasts. Yeah. I think you might have mentioned that before. Actually, now you're saying that. Yeah, they're so great. All oh, those guys are so great. So they had and still have um, one called, why the fuck can I not remember the name of it? The Cryptid Factor. That's a sweet podcast With, name. Uh, why the fuck can I remember the name? <laughs> <laughs> that would be a great one. If I ever start one, I'll use that. Or fuck. Yeah, no, it's with like, um, yeah, Leon Kirkbeck and uh, Dan Schreiber. So they do that. But then. They, they try to Americanize that Spotify bought them out and had a contract and they brought me on that one to talk about this uh, time traveling humans idea. But that's the first time I heard it. he's also a pretty, a pretty famous actor on like Jumanji flight of the Concords, as you mentioned, but that was the first time I heard that term fuckery and they used it a lot in one episode. And I was like, that's such a great way. Yeah. To you know, it might be like a, a British Shit. or an Australian or Kiwi thing. It probably too. is. Yeah. yeah. Sounds like something they'd come up with. Doesn't it? It's just concise and poetic. I heard the first person to say it was Australopithecus. <laughs> <laughs> A little bones joke Austra- for you. Australopithecus fuckerius, I think, was the genus and species. Nice. Um,. Well, let's wrap it, it up here. Hashtag dad jokes. Unless uh, you um, you have anything else you want to add to any of those topics. Well, let me check my notes. Ooh, he really does have notes. I really do have notes. I always take notes. Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. No, I think I'm good, man. 
good conversation. I think we covered it all. Yeah, no, this was a great conversation. And I'd love to, of course, have you back on for our annual talk. And next time we'll maybe go full evolution. Because... Uh, I thought you were going to say full frontal. <laughs> What's that from? It's always sunny in Philadelphia. There's an episode where like, full front or uh, full <laughs> penetration back to the streets. Full penetration back to the streets. Back and forth. Um, also a great show. Yeah. Um, but no, this was an awesome longest conversation. Longest running. I think they're the longest running yeah. uh, scripted comedy show. They are. After The Simpsons, which is yeah. pretty impressive. It's crazy. I remember when The Simpsons, people were like, don't let your kids watch this. They're saying ass and hell and all sorts was, of... <laughs> yeah. I wasn't allowed to watch The Simpsons growing up. I believe it. I, I, I wasn't supposed to probably, and I did. Um, but listen, man, this was, I think... Look, people got a lot out of it. We got a lot of great comments, people asking questions and stuff. So I really appreciate your time as always. Your Did we answer their questions? You though? you I think you answered a lot of the questions, yeah. Um okay, obviously some of them are super, super About esoteric or, or yeah. stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, what happened to those people? How come they didn't evolve? The only people that didn't. Oh, isn't it cool though that you don't hear about that as much? Yeah, I know, right. Like when I first published identified flying objects do daily i had like five emails from flat earthers oh i used to get them all the time too is that what i you don't know what you're talking about i know a a real person i'm not gonna say who it is but i know a real person that that thinks it and i hey you know what if you're if you're gonna say it's a belief and you don't care i mean whatever what's what's it different than anything else that has no validity to it what if the flat earth is just a cake mummy though Dude, it's all we're a cake all mummy, on, bro. We're all living on the belly of a cake mummy. We're all living in God's really cake mummy. God's <laughs> cake mummy. Uh. I, don't, I don't even know where to take that yes and situation. It's going to get dark and it's going to get Uh-oh. weird. But uh, yeah, so check out Dr. Michael Masters' books, Identified Flying Objects, which will give you the overview of his, uh, his model regarding the time travel and the... Uh, you know, the UFOs being time travel machines and things like that. Uh, his more recent nonfiction, which is the extra tempestrial model. Um, I have the links all down below at the bottom, too. You can go check those out. And his most recent one, which we mentioned up there at the top, which is called Revelation, the Future Human Past, which is fiction, but very interesting fiction with lots of... And lots of sci-fi. Specifically, I'm curious. How far did you make it? And be honest. Don't Uh, tell me you're on like page seventy. No, I think I've just passed the beginning of the third chapter. So not very far. Okay. It's about to pick up. Trust me. Keep going, my friends. No, no. I I, again, I'm I'm in it. I when I start reading something, I commit unless it's completely dog shit. And there have been a few books that I've gotten that. I've stopped, but no, this doesn't appear to be. If like if you've enjoyed the weirdness and the jokes at this point, you will in weird and weird. Oh yeah, them. yeah, yeah. Actually, I think you're right. You're writing though. For for I get more of your personality of like the way you are on podcasts through your fiction than I do through the nonfiction. Because I can be myself. That's I true. I can't be myself yeah. in those books. You know. That's true. Very so, true. Yeah. What, what it's weird that, that it's story? true, but it's fiction. Think about that. Yeah. That oh, that's a very good point. The real me is fiction, but the real me is me. Mm. That's sad. I can only get to be find me that Lee fiction. Burger. 
Um, but yeah, so check out his books uh, if you want to. He's in our documentary. If you haven't checked out our documentary, it's free on our YouTube channel. We also have a couple exclusive interviews with uh, uh, Mike here. Where there's actually one where he hosts the episode uh, on our Patreon. Oh shit, I forgot about. And you that. asked Maurice and I questions, which was like a kind of yeah. a change up. Uh, that was kind of cool. Um, and then, you know, we do have a director's cut of the documentary, which he is in also on our Patreon. You know what's funny? I know you're trying to wrap this up, but no, you're fine. the other day, I was like, God, because I've done probably close to 400 of these over the last five years. And I was like, man, there was one where I got to be the host. What was it? And I couldn't remember, but you're right. It was your, it was your podcast it where was. we flipped the script flipped it oh that's so cool absolutely it was fun i like hey i like different because i totally forgot i like different stuff like that who doesn't um so yeah so check that out and if you want to support mind escape the best way to do is click the link tree link down below we appreciate uh you know positive feedback on our uh, apple and spotify podcast reviews as well as if you're listening on an audio platform please check out our youtube channel we do all of our episodes live on there and then if you're you know watching right now on youtube please check out our audio platform stuff as well we do have video podcasts on spotify uh we have a merch store um check out our documentary i'm trying to think if there's anything else oh i've been highlighting glass artists um shout out to uh, my boy Adam at ambient underscore glass um, on Instagram. You can check out um, ambient glass um, on uh, Etsy as well. He's on there. I'm trying to think who else. Oh, shout out to uh, glass by Aaron Carty, E I R N C A R T E E, or two T, two E's, sorry. Um, she made me, um, let's see here. I'm going to wrap it up here. I guess we're getting stopped streaming. Some sort of connection. You there? Who? Can you the hear me? Bodied form of or uh, someone else? Can you hear me? Hello? Hello? Cut out? <laughs>